Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said all this quite openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me. Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, What can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, So in Advent 2021, I gave a sermon series that will never be beat. And I, like, I completely set myself up for your perpetual disappointment in me and my ability to plan sermon series after I did this. And every Advent from here on out, I dread planning because I'm like, I can't top it. I just can't top that one. Advent 2021 was our Ted Lasso Christmas. If you're new with us today, you may not know what Ted Lasso is. And, um, or you may know or you haven't watched it yet. Y'all, um, y'all ate that up when we did that. You ate it up. Like, Apple should have seriously paid me (laughs) for the number of people I convinced (laughs) to watch the the show Ted Lasso in 2021 because I believed, like, we just needed that show at that point in time. That show, we just needed it. It Our, like, the core of our being needed the goodness of that show. If you haven't watched it, um, I commend it to you. 
as the single best show, I think, on streaming services. Um, it also helps my cause that the actor um, who plays Ted Lasso also won the Emmy for Best Actor in, tw in 2022. So if you hadn't watched it before, then maybe you have because you've heard of that. Um, and so why do I bring up Ted Lasso today? Well, this week, the long-awaited season three dropped, and it's like the stars aligned. And, um, and I told Brett, there's no way I'm going to do a Linton sermon series on Ted Lasso, I promise you. <laughs> like, you don't have to anticipate that coming up because of the, this all falling in the season of Lent. I knew that. But it's like the stars aligned this week, and God, like, God's grace and will for us was made known because <laughs> episode one of season three is like this beautiful God-given parable for the story we just read today. It's like, God just gave it to me. I don't know. I didn't know what to do with it, so I'm going to have to give it to y'all. So if you have, um, if you've watched Ted Lasso, you know that season two ended with this, like, heart-wrenching moment um, that actually I never included in our sermon series back in 2021, mainly because I knew so many of you had not watched it, and I didn't want to spoil that part for you. Um, but I can now. Uh, and so at the end of, of season two, um, Nate, this beloved equipment manager of this soccer team, see, secretly had this gift that was discovered in him, uh, this calling to coaching, not just managing. And this guy who's so quiet, so um, just someone you never really notice but whose emotional intelligence and self-respect is really pretty bankrupt. And that endearing guy that we meet in season one and kind of watch transform through season two at the end of season two, um, he can't handle the incredible optimism of this, this, this coach, Ted. He can't handle it. The optimism seems to go against all the rules of life he knows. And so it seems to mock the world's negativity. It seems to mock his experience of life. And he just gets to a point where he finally revolts against this, this intense positivity with this grand gesture of betrayal leaving AFC Richmond for West Ham United. And so if you watched, you were kind of devastated at the end and you wanted to know what would happen. Um, and all I could think is what will it profit if you game the whole world but forfeit your soul? Let's take a look at um, a first clip from season three, episode There he is. The Wonder Kid himself. Get out. Coach Shelley? Yes, yes. Mr. Mannion would like to speak with you. Okay, thank you very much. Now? Let's go. Yeah. Take over here. Five more minutes of this and just run until the drop. Okay. Right. Oh, oh gosh. Okay. Just because my name is Disco doesn't mean we're here to party, huh? 
wonder kid himself. Hello. What's lovely are these delightful pre-season prognostications. Yeah. Are they delish? Especially poor old Richmond. <laughs> Can you believe they're picked to finish 20th? Well, yeah, because there's no 21st. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> oh, I hope you've got some more zingers like that in your back pocket for the press of today. I, I might. Oh, you know, they didn't know what they had letting you go. Nathan Shelley, you are a killer. <laughs> yeah, well, it makes sense to me. Probably have to train in a sewer because their coach is so shit. So, uh, at the, the last scene there, and I thought I edited that last word a little bit better than that, but I didn't. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, so, the last scene there, it shows that uh, there is a story where the team has been taken to a sewer to teach them a lesson, and he is saying, well, He's making a comment about, of course, they would take him to a sewer because the team is just, they're slated to be 20th place this year. And Nate has been given the world. He's been given the team that is, is said to be number one this season. But then he starts to notice, he starts to notice that maybe this is not the team Maybe this is not the team he thought it was after all. Maybe this isn't, these are not the people he thought they were after all. Take a look at this scene. Thank you, Mr. Mannion. Oh, no, please, Nathan, call me Rupert. Mr. Mannion, the car is being removed from the lot as we speak. Ah, good. Security thinks one of the new cleaners must have parked in the prestige lot by accident. <laughs> yes. And accidents have repercussions. Just want to just have a look. Um, yes, that's my car. Sorry. Is it really? No. Um, well, yeah, uh, yes. I mean, it's the one that I drove here in, but is anything really ours? I can move it. No, it's okay. My apologies, Nathan. Miss Cakes, let security know that we have found the. Uh, automobiles owner and everything's fine. Yes, Mr. Mannion. Nathan? Yeah? I know you'll make me proud. I believe in you. Thank you, Mr. Rupert. Ru just Rupert. Plain Rupert. Rupert. What you see a little later in the episode is that um, Rupert comes up and hands him a box with a set of keys in them. And he's been given the world all over again because, oh, the junky little car that he drove up at AFC Richmond is not the kind of car that's expected of a coach at West Ham United. And as the story goes on throughout this episode, the, the, this team that has been slated to be 20th has this sense in themselves like they're just utter dirt. And so Ted, the coach of AFC Richmond, takes them to the sewer to teach them a lesson about what dirt really looks like. And the news catches it, and that's what, that's what Nate was joking. The news catches it, and the news is poking fun at them, and Nate pokes fun at them in this press conference in this really extreme way. 
And so let's take a look, though, at Ted's response to that. Where were you this afternoon? Oh, I took the fellas on a little impromptu field trip. Yes, to a sewer, Ted. I know. Everyone knows. And you're upset that I didn't invite you? No, Coach Lasso, I'm upset because the team that I own is projected to finish last this season. And my manager decided to skip training and take our players into you're a... Yeah, about this mustache? Uh, I look like Ned Flanders is doing cosplay as Ned Flanders. <laughs> I mean, when I talk, it sounds like Dr. Phil hasn't gone through puberty yet. <laughs> I'm more corny than Kevin Costner's outfield. <laughs> Ooh, I lost you on that one. Yeah. Hmm? Swing and a miss. Yeah, uh, Field of Dreams? If you caught it, for there was one glimpse where they showed you who was watching this press conference, and it was Nate himself. He was watching because he utterly slams AFC um, Richmond, and he just tears Ted down. And how unbelievably annoying and such a break of the rules of life for Ted to get up there and make fun of him, his own self. How unsatisfying that is for the person who wants to know, gosh, that they gained the whole world and that it means something, right? How unsatisfying that is. This story reminded me of our scripture today. Um, it's, the, it's in the eighth chapter of, of the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus and his disciples have been traversing the Galilean countryside and it's been amazing. Um, they've been healing the sick and reaching out to the poor and gathering a community of friends together and all those things. Everything has gone according to the rules up until now. But with this exchange and in chapter 8 between Jesus and his disciples, the rules of the game suddenly change. And, um, and Peter starts to get uncomfortable with Jesus's uh, talk of death and also incredible where does it come from kind of peace. Jesus tells his disciples that he's, go he's going to undergo some serious suffering, that he's going to die and then he's going to rise again and come back to life on the third day. And Peter, he pulls Jesus aside to remind him, like, enough with the suffering and death talk. Like, that's, that is not what we signed up for here. And also, like, when you talk about suffering and death, you're supposed to be morose. How, enough with this in, intense peace and also talk of death and suffering. Peter, he pulls Jesus aside to have this conversation, and Jesus turns to Peter instead, his first lieutenant. He, he turns to him with this harsh rebuke, and then he turns to the entire crowd that's following and gives this little speech about suffering and, and death, like the stuff that, all that stuff that Peter thinks is out of the bounds, out of the rules of what he signed up for. And then when he follows that up, he follows it up with, with a question. Jesus says, tell me, what will it profit to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? That's probably the version you heard. 
before. What will it profit to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? That's, that's the version we most of the time hear. I don't know if you noticed, but the question today is, what will it profit to gain the whole world but forfeit your life? Forfeit your soul is like one interpretation and one very popular translation. In fact, it's the Southern Baptist translation. Um, but most scholars actually translate this as life instead of soul. First of all, whoa, like, whoa. Think about how translating soul here as life changes the way we think about the nature of the human soul, for one thing. That's one question. How very... How very different, right, than our modern understanding of the soul that tends to list the soul as like one dimension or one part of our life or our being. There's the mind and the body and, and then there's the soul, right? Um, but this word that Jesus uses makes soul synonymous with life. But think also about how this also changes the entire question Jesus is asking here in Mark 8. Jesus isn't asking, what will it profit if you gain the whole world but you forfeit your soul? Jesus is asking, what will it profit if you gain the whole world but you forfeit your life? And with this change of just one word, this question suddenly makes no sense to us. Set in the context of, of the lecture he just gave about life and death, and, but Jesus is so peaceful in the midst of that lecture. Like, let's review for a second. Jesus just said that anyone who wishes to follow him must deny themselves, take up their cross, lose their life, so that they may be saved. Jesus just said that you have to lose your life to save it. But now Jesus is asking us, what will it profit to forfeit our life? What would it profit to lose your life? Does Jesus want us to lose our life or not? I mean, now you kind of see why Peter's concerned. The suffering and death of Jesus, the losing our lives as his followers, well, that seems like the opposite of what God wants. That breaks all the rules. Jesus, go home, you're done. <laughs> like, we don't know what the heck you're even talking about anymore. Um, we don't know what the heck this is all for anymore. I'm not sure you do either, Jesus, honestly. And maybe Peter was right. Maybe Peter had just gotten lost in one too many of Jesus's rambling stories. The rules had changed and they were just as confusing as ever. I would venture a guess, though, that out of the people here, um, most here are rules people. Maybe. We play by the rules. We're the people who play by the rules, maybe. It was likely that we were raised to do that, be the people who play by the rules. And there are all kinds of rules, right? Most of them unspoken. There are generational rules. There are rules for polite social interaction. There are rules that come by virtue of social location. There are rules about business and and most of the rules that we conform to have as their foundation one firm, unyielding, almost impenetrable um, principle 
and, it, and, it's, and it's this, that, that we all belong to ourselves, that we are the author of our own destinies, and, and thus the rules that run our lives have everything to do with us managing and grabbing and climbing and making sense of and achieving within our life. There are rules that help us do that. And also, we are in the sphere of the DC metro area, right? Like, that's also where we are, and that's the way people think um, and live in the DC metro area. They are people who are rule people. They're the achievers, if, if not overachievers. And when the rules change, it can be, as Peter discovered, frustrating and terrifying. But I think what Jesus has for us today, he commends to us that there are actually two sets of rules. I think this is also what Ted tends to commend to all those he coaches around him. There's one way to coach, and there, but there's also another way. There's one set of rules, maybe it's the rule to this game, or there's one set of rules. There's also a second set of rules. There are rules of achieving, yes, but there are also rules of receiving. And the difference is, is what like, Nate was beginning to discover here. And what I think we'll see unfold through like, the rest of the season of Ted Lasso, it's the difference between two kinds of living. Or perhaps for the sake of our scripture today, two kinds of life. It's the difference between two kinds of life. It's the difference between the rules of achieving and the rules of receiving. The difference between these two ways of living these two lives is the difference between life as like a clenched fist and life as an open hand. You can feel it in their bodies as you watch along. Nate, just bound by this clenched fist. Ted, always, seemingly, out of nowhere, Jesus, always, somehow, even in the midst of death, this open hand. First, the first one is, is defiant and strong and forceful, right? But it's, it's a life, a fist that can never hold anyone's hand. Never fold itself in prayer, a fist. It can't. Never reach out in friendship to someone else. It's just a fist. This life, this fist can achieve. It can achieve and it can grab, but it can never receive. It takes a, a fist to hammer a nail into a cross, right? But it takes an open hand to have a nail driven into it. And it, it turns out that Peter has been playing by that rule, living life as this clenched fist. Perhaps many of us have too. And Jesus says, what will it profit if you clench the whole world, but you forfeit your life. Jesus says the rules of the first, the rules of grasping and achieving and striving, if you play by those rules, the only thing that will happen is you're going to beat yourself to death. What good is it to live like that? 
But if you want to live, if you want to live, you want to truly live, you must die. You must first die to that life. And then when you have opened your hand, you will receive. It turns out Jesus is talking about two different lives, two different sets of rules, one that we must forfeit so that we may know the one in which we're saved. And I wonder if you've ever had that experience. I bet you have that experience if you've ever known those two lives. I would say most of us have, that you've wanted something so badly. I don't know what it is for you, but maybe it's a promotion at work or perhaps it's a relationship that you just know will make everything better. Or it's a research project that you've been like pumping all of your energy into, all of your soul into for months and you are desperate to get the results and for those results to be what you hoped them to be. Or you're a parent and your child has a dream and that dream becomes your dream and you want so badly for, the, for them to, to, to be able to grasp that thing. And so much so that your, your own life has been lost in theirs. Or it could be like on the material side maybe, a new purchase of some kind and, and you're desperate for the Dow to turn because you've planned to retire in three years and now it looks like it's gonna be impossible to do so. And so what do you do when you are desperate for something like that? We, we go out and we reach and we grab and we try. You do everything in your power to achieve it, to attain it, to hold it, and then, and then it doesn't work out. Maybe that's a story you can tell. Whatever that was, it didn't work out. And you're absolutely crushed. And it's like the wind's been knocked out of you and it hurts so terribly bad. And, and then after a bit of time and about after a bit of grief, the dust clears and you begin to open your eyes and you, you start to look around and you see more clearly everything that is already there. With a bit of distance, maybe you, maybe there is this deepened sense of gratitude and appreciation out of nowhere. Maybe the fist, that fist you had been doing so much work and taking so much energy in that fist now becomes this open hand. And maybe you realize that you, you, have, you have so much already, so much love and so much grace and so much joy, and you simply just have to receive it and be thankful. Losing one's life isn't so bad when, when there is another life so full of grace to be received. Today is the fourth Sunday of Lent. And I was, I was thinking this week as I read Mark 8 um, and watched Ted Lasso, about um, the question that one of our confirmands asked at um, our confirmation class last week. Um, she asked last Sunday a question that um, it's possible you all have this question. You are just adults and are too scared to ask it, you know. Um, she asked, like, what is Lent? 
Maybe you have that question, right? Like such an honest question. I love compromands for that reason. Like what is Lynn's about, right? And I couldn't help but think um, of her question as I read Mark 8 this week and watched Ted Lasso this week, the, the meaning, the meaning, the story, the journey of Lent is a journey from one life, from one set of rules to a whole other set of rules to a whole other life. If, if, I, could, if I could boil it down to something, I, maybe that's the new way to tell you what Lent is. Lent is this journey from the clenched fist to the open hand right? From the clenched fist of sin to the open hand of salvation. From the clenched fist of, of the anxious Peter to the open and anointing hands of like Mary Magdalene. From the clenched fist and vengeful, like the vengeful acts and clenched fist of, of Pontius Pilate and the crowds to the open and, and forgiving hands of Jesus. The journey of Lent is this affirmation of this whole new set of rules where we are given a new name and sealed in our baptism not as achiever or maker or producer or consumer or clincher but the same name that Peter is given just follower of Jesus and for most of us the cost of being a follower is too much Denying ourselves, taking up the cross, losing our lives for the sake of the gospel, it was too much for Nate to be a follower of that kind of goodness. It's too, it's too far beyond our ability to comprehend that kind of goodness. It's reserved for the Ted Lassos of the world. But that's not good enough for Jesus. Because if we can't lose our lives, then he'll lose his. That's Jesus. And when we have lost our way, when something is out of control and has plunged us into the darkest parts of our lives and we can't seem to find our way out of any of it or through any of it at all, he'll find our lives for us. That's Jesus. That is what the cross is all about. That's what Lent is all about. When we're tired and we're terrified and we're panicked and we're confused and when the rules have changed and the ground has shifted out from under us, Jesus does what we can't do. Jesus loses his life in order to give us his life so that when we find ourselves grasping and clenching and climbing, it is the cross that we end up clenching and holding on to with our like grub, grubby, always overachieving fists, right? What would it profit to clinch the whole world but to forfeit your life? You must lose your life in order to save it. But hear the good news. At the end, it's, it's not your own life that you lose. As much as the life that you have been, you've been given. And... And the cross isn't the heaviest burden that you're going to bear, but the one that Jesus bears on your behalf. What grace is that? Perhaps by giving up ourselves and the rules and the ways of life of the fist, we may have room to open our hands to Jesus today.
Let us pray. God, many of us here uh, would like to believe we're not people of the fist, but um, it's our friends and our spouses and um, those who know us well, who, are, who know we are. It's those people who speak it often into our lives. We've got so much bound <laughs> up so much need for control, so much clinching, so much holding on, so much never letting go. And so, God, we take our fists. I invite you even to take your fists. Like, take your, let's do this as with our bodies today. Take, take our fists, God, and we open them up today. We open our hands, God, before you to receive, to receive that knowledge, that thing we already know, that we will not be able to clinch or carry, clinch this life, clinch the next thing, or carry the burdens of this life without you. Thank you, God, for for Jesus, who, when we felt like we were at the end of our life, gave us his, breathed into us the breath of life. We pray as Jesus prayed today, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.